Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today is episode 13, and today we're going to be interviewing Dan D. How are you this morning, Dan? I can't complain in the slightest. That is good to hear. So let's just get right into it. So we're going to be discussing your story of addiction and recovery, and let's start with your childhood. Can do. All right, so tell us a little bit about it. So, I mean, I guess my childhood started off like most people's do, obviously. I I was born in Vermont, strangely enough, and I ended up being raised in Maine because when my mom figured out that my dad wasn't going to stick around, she wanted to be around her family, so she brought me back up to the state of Maine because um, this is where probably a good 80% of my family lives, except for the people that are on my dad's side. Now, my dad was a functional alcoholic and cocaine addict. He um, actually, when I was born, he showed up with a motorcycle that he didn't have a license to, that he borrowed from someone else. And what else was it? Oh, didn't have his license didn't own the vehicle also he ended up getting pulled over on his way there used his best friend's name so he could get away from the police because he had had his license removed for an OUI Um, he showed up after a night out at the bar started saying some crazy mess and my mom decided right then and there that it was not going to be a functional spot for me to be raised and be around him um also side note i was switched at birth which is really random I, I got switched back inevitably but for probably half a day i was with another family how did they realize that so my mom knew she had a boy like she had to go into emergency surgery right after she right after i was born because I apparently came out with parts of her still attached to me. Um, But when she realized that when she went to change me, I didn't have boy parts, it kind of set in. Um, She had to confirm it, of course. My grandmother was like, yeah, you definitely had a boy. And they had to figure out exactly where I went. So between my grandmother and my mom, they asked a bunch of questions. The nurses tried saying, how did you not know your own kid, blah, blah, blah. And it, it was just one of those hospitals that ended up getting shut down not too long after everything happened. Um, <laughs> it's just a funny story I like to tell because it does really happen. I thought it was all just a joke, you know, my whole time growing up until my grandmother sat me down and told me the story. But... I didn't realize that was an actual thing that could happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, so my life kind of started off in dysfunction, but I like to put the fun in dysfunctional. It's kind of how I have to live my life. Otherwise, obviously, the monotony of life will drive you nuts. So we moved back to Maine. My mom finds us this little crap apartment in Augusta near her mom. And she started looking for employment. 
she ended up working for the state of Maine, which good on her for that. You know, this was the woman who didn't really graduate from high school. She was in Job Corps when she actually conceived me. And nothing against people who go to Job Corps, by the way. It's just she she had messed up things in her life. What is Job Corps? So Job Corps is essentially a trade school that gives you high school and college. If that makes sense. So you get your diploma while you're there and you start working towards a trade. She went for business accounting and things like that. Um, she didn't end up using it for too long after she got a job with DHHS. Um, she hooked up with a guy who turned out to be probably the worst thing that would ever enter her life. Um, I don't speak ill of the dead, so I'm going to leave his name out of the cast, but he was my first stepfather, and he had a raging cocaine addiction. But he also had some underlying demons as well that he needed to work on himself. So my mom's working for DHS, and everything's honky-dory, um, she thinks she's living the perfect life. You know, she gets to work. He takes care of the kid all day kind of thing. Well, he was using the whole time. And not only was he using, but when he ran out of money, he was using me to score his drugs. So I got thrust into some madness that at that age, I didn't know what was going on. I was probably two years old before the state stepped in. Um, but when they did step in, they threw the book at my mom because, well, she was a state worker who was allowing things like this to go on. And she ended up getting me taken. So instead of going straight into foster care, they tried to find a family member for me to go with. Um, they couldn't find one person to take me. I ended up floating around between a few of my family members' houses. I started with my aunt, whose husband was a cop, and that was probably the worst place for me because they were very strict disciplinarians. I had just left a bunch of madness, so obviously some behavioral problems kicked in. Um, yeah, they... Treated me like crap. Tried pawning me off on my grandmother, which which wasn't actually my grandmother. It was the man who was abusing me's mother. So it sounds but like you I have a, up, Real quick, that? I was going to say it sounds like that you've got a pretty good memory of when you were real young. Like just to give you an example, me personally, I, I was never in a situation like yours, but... I still don't remember a lot of my childhood. Like if you ask me questions like what the way you're answering. So it's pretty amazing that you remember all this. So this is from years and years of meditation and trying to remember everything that happened. I know some of this information came from my family members, you know, trying to fill in bits and pieces of my younger years. Um, I sat down with my aunt after I 
was probably 16 and I asked her flat out, you know, what happened when my mom went to prison? Because my, my aunt never pulled punches with me. She would tell me the truth no matter what, even if she was in the wrong about something, which I credit her to this day. Like, it's not easy to tell a kid that you gave up on him. You know what I mean? But she straight up told me, she was like, Dan, you know, y- you acted in a way that we didn't understand and we just kind of had to cut our ties because we had our four kids and then we have a kid that we take in who's acting the way you were. So she, at least she explained it and didn't just kind of try to cover it up type of thing. Uh, I'll credit her for that all day. Um, my grandmother, after my aunt told me, I sat down and spoke with her as well and she didn't want to tell me anything. Um, she didn't want to tell me why DHS took me away. She didn't want to tell me it because it was her son that caused it. Um, I mean, my mom was definitely at blame too because she she didn't want to believe anything was going wrong. So fast forward a little bit. Around eight years old, we're now out of the Augusta area. I'm living in Sabattis. Um my mom wants to go back to work full time. So she finds a job at a diner, which definitely nothing wrong there. Like she still works in the waitressing industry today. Like, so she chose the right career path, I'll say. Um, but she needed to find someone to watch me for obvious reasons. She couldn't just kind of leave me alone to fend for myself all day. Um, she met this teenager in our apartment complex who she thought would be a good fit to watch me. Uh, now, this babysitter had a very special way to keep her kids calm and listening. Uh, she used to feed me some of her Vicodin and alcohol to make sure that I was just calm and compliant the whole time. How old were, um, and how then old she used to go around bragging about how great kids we were to watch because we were always calm, wanted to clean, just wanted to hang out kind of thing. But I'm sorry, you had a question? Yes, I was going to ask, how old were you around this time? So around this time, I was around eight when she first started watching me. Um her cousin is actually still my one of my best friends. I still have to kind of love him from afar right now because he's still in active addiction. But we had known each other since we were four years old. She, she was his older cousin who had just started coming around. But I was with my best friend all the time, so we thought we were the cool kids. We were getting drunk and high. You know what I mean? And all the older kids were astounded by us being around. So then on top of that, we thought it was the cool thing to do. So right at eight years old, I'm getting told, getting messed up to the point where you can't really move. That's the cool thing to do. That's what all the kids in the neighborhood wanted, all the 15, 16-year-olds started smoking cigarettes back then too that's the one i kind of regret more than anything because that's the one i still can't shake 
but started getting high almost nightly because my again my mom is trying to go back to work first for her full-time shifts and everything trying to put food on the table and i stayed with her more than i stayed with my own mother and then when misty wasn't watching me uh we ended up where my mom worked out some arrangement with the disabled lady that lived next door and I would just stay home alone. So I had a lot of free time on my hands. Um, started breaking bones randomly throughout my childhood, but every time I would, the doctors would give me low dose pain meds, obviously, and I could never figure out why my prescriptions weren't lasting as long as they were supposed to. Because I'd already had a tolerance, so I was just taking more and more and more. And then I remembered from my childhood that if I had a little bit of alcohol, those things got amplified by a lot. So I'd sneak things out of the alcohol cabinets, replace it with water, because, you know, that's just the classic kid thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. I'd do the same thing. Now that I'm older, though, I realize, like, how ridiculous that was because anyone who drinks knows that your alcohol has been tampered with. Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like the first time you ever used was not really your choice at all. So, um, and that was, if you remember, do you remember when you were really young how it made you feel? I mean, so it sounds like you did to a degree because you remembered alcohol made you feel better plus those painkillers. But you have like, do you have... The first thing I remember, honestly, like, is that it made me feel like... I wasn't so nervous about life because all the abuse I had suffered, like even young wise, even though most of it was blacked out and pushed into my subconscious, like it still left me on edge, like super on edge. I was a very jittery child. Like I was always kind of sheltered off. I didn't want to be around people. I didn't trust anyone. And the, the pain pills changed that for me. Like the alcohol did a little bit, but I don't know. Most of the times the alcohol made me feel worse in the end. And even as a kid, I noticed that because like I'd want to go out and play the next day, but couldn't because I just felt like crap. Do you remember what you were like when you first got high? Were you just quiet and like, been, uh, I don't know, like in a trance from the drugs, or were you more of a talkative and a better mood? Did it, like, really help your ego, so to speak? I can't fully remember. Um, I will say, like, I gained a reputation with, like, all the older kids as being the little class clown kid, you know, without the classroom. So, like, I was the kid who would do all the crazy shit, no matter what it was, like, I wanted to be the center of that attention because for me, everyone laughing and not just, I mean, I guess just not laughing at me, at me, but laughing at what I was attempting to have them see. Obviously looking back, I see they were just laughing at me, but it felt like they were laughing at the performance I was putting on. And that made me feel 
really good as a kid because my mom was gone constantly. Um, my babysitter was definitely not the type of people I should have been around. So there was no positive reinforcement from there. But every time I got a laugh from someone, it made me feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. You know, this, this is my role in life. And I still kind of attribute laughter to acceptance in some scenarios. Like, I'll definitely try to break monotonous situations with laughter nowadays. But at least nowadays I have the wherewithal to know if someone's laughing at me or with me. Because there is a huge difference. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's something but like you said. But back in the day, when I was young, I didn't know the difference. I just thought all laughter was good laughter, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So here I am. This is probably when I was, let's see, we've got up to when I was being babysat there, hanging out with all the ridiculous older kids, so. What was it like going into? About, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, what was it like going into your teenage years? So it looks like we covered, you know, your early childhood. What was it like moving up into your teenage years, into middle school and high school? So around age 12, so the best thing that's ever happened to me happened um, my mom met, or re-met, I should say, my stepdad, um, like my current stepdad, and he moved from Arizona to Maine, um, took him two days to get here. I don't know if you know that drive, or if you can even imagine that drive, but I want, I want you to consider the fact that they say it takes 32 hours to drive from Maine to Florida. And he drove from Arizona to Maine in two days. Was he high? Was he using drugs to get him there quicker? We didn't know at the time, but now that I'm older and we've talked, yes. He was actually uh, fighting a meth addiction at the time. He bought his last bit of meth and he decided his life was worth saving because he was getting in with cartels while he was in Arizona. Um, he was making really good money as a master electrician. And well, he, he was going to die. He knew it, um, he had accepted it. But then my mom reached out to him because this is, this is now coming into the age of the internet. So they reconnect on AOL. I don't know if you remember AOL much, but Oh, yeah, no, I totally remember the chat rooms. I totally remember those first chat rooms. Oh, absolutely, me too. I remember feeling like the coolest kid in the world going into those chat rooms, man. But she uh, got my stepdad's screen name from a mutual friend. They linked up, they started talking, and at the time I didn't know, but this is going to play into a fact a little bit later. Um, my stepdad was my dad's bio like my biological dad's best friend. Okay. Um, him being around though, I feel like it made my dad step up more and want to be around. Like I don't know if it was just the fact of some other guy raising his kid or the fact that his quote unquote fuck up best friend was now raising his kid, but he started stepping up. So. 12, I start seeing my dad again. I start seeing my stepdad 
he already kicked a drug addiction. Didn't know it at the time, but we knew he was sick when he got here. Or, sorry, correction, I knew that he was sick when he got there. And obviously my mom knew the ins and the outs, but she only told me so much. Um, but now I have this new father figure who was a lot different than, uh, than the last one. Um, I was very wary about him for years just because I, what I went through with my first stepfather, like I I didn't want to open up to him. I didn't want to be around him. I, I told my mom all the time that I hated him. Like didn't want anything to do with him and then just slowly over time obviously my my shield kind of dropped down a bit my guard changed and I don't know I I opened up to him but going into my teen years high school times I realized that drugs had a monetary value attached to them see when I was younger I didn't realize that but now coming into high school and talking to people about the things that I do for fun, which was, you know, eat my pain pills, take a drink. I started talking to this one kid who offered me a lot of money for my pills. Well, a lot of money at the time, but it, it made me realize that there was a market for these things and I was missing out. So I had a broken wrist from a snowboarding injury that I rebroke probably four or five times. Um, it was on purpose. I didn't realize it back when I was younger that I was really putting myself in that situation on purpose. But after a long bout of meditation, I realized like I wasn't ready for those pills to stop. Subconsciously, so, you just wanted to get more and more high. Yep. I, I needed that more. I needed to not be without my safety net because those kept me calm. Those kept me the fun person. Those made me feel like I could handle social situations without shutting down because that's, that's what I did. When I was stone cold sober, I would just shut down. Like I didn't want to be around people. I didn't want anything to do with anyone. If someone tried to talk to me, I was kind of standoffish, I guess. It still affects my attitude to these days. Like, I have to catch myself. Like, I'm still very wary of people. You know, like, and I'm trying to snap myself out of it now, but still very wary. Well, I can imagine you've got reason to be. Yeah. As you got older into high school in those early teen years, was there anyone specific that you were using with? Was it more friends? Um, Did you use alone? Absolutely. It was more friends. Like, I tried to turn it into a social thing. Um, My best friend growing up, again, still the same dude who's in active now, he was my go-to. Me and him, we, we always joked that we were the brothers that you know, never had blood or whatever. Um, we tried to make ourselves blood brothers when we were super young by doing that whole uh, cut your fingers, push them together thing, which is, now that I'm older, I realize how bad that was. But um, he was 
my kind of running partner the whole time, even after I moved. Um, that's the part I accidentally forgot. Um, I actually moved from Savannah to this town called Litchfield, so I was separated from everything I knew. And now I was in like a more country setting instead of a little like suburban town. I was now in the sticks, like farmland. So I had a lot more time to myself and I hated it. Um, but me and my friend stayed best friends this whole time. Every time we could, we would link up. Um, once I turned driving age, it changed a lot too, because then I was never alone. I didn't want to be alone. Every time I was alone, things in my head kind of started to spiral. But So it looks like you're very uncomfortable. You were very uncomfortable getting inside your own head. Oh, absolutely. Um, I still feel to this day that when I was younger, things kind of... So I used drugs to block out almost every emotion I had. Um, so we were a three-person best friend system. And this is around the time where my life took a turn that I never expected. Like, it... uh it kind of spiraled into something that I never would have expected to happen and that I was, I, that nothing could have prepared me for it. Um, one of our friends, he was abused his whole life, like physically. Um, he was a lot like us. He joked about everything to try to make himself like the center of attention because he was getting good attention everywhere but home. And all of a sudden he started missing a lot of school like a lot, a lot of school. And usually the only time he would miss school is if his parents left a mark, you know, dark enough and noticeable enough so that they didn't want to send him. Um, so we went and checked on him. He had gotten beat up for something stupid. I can't remember exactly what it was, but he took the rap for his little sister breaking something in the house. Um, they dragged him up the stairs by his heels and it left a ripped open cut on each of his like vertebrae that were poking out of his back. So he was all cut up. He was beat up. He had two black eyes. He, he just didn't look good. Um, the only thing we knew to do was just try to do kid shit like we sat down, we started playing video games, like, uh, my best friend who's still around, um, he ended up having to leave because his mom was taking him to do school shopping or something ridiculous, because our school shopping didn't happen until well after school started, because that's when all the deals were. I don't know if you remember that or not, but usually all the back-to-school stuff would go on sale about a month after school started. Yeah, yeah. That's when we always got our school clothes. Um, I didn't grow up with money by any means, but my mom tried to make it so that I didn't want for much. So. Well, that's good. I mean, that's good. I'm starting to breathe a bit here. Um, th this part kind of swat. I don't know. It changed. This is one of the things that I can't repress. You know what I mean? Like, everything from when I was probably a toddler, I can definitely kind of sink down and just push it to the back end of my mind. But 
So we're playing video games. We're getting high like we normally did, you know, splitting a couple pain pills. I had a couple beers in my backpack. And he just starts kind of mumbling about how it's the last time they'll do it. It's the last time they'll this, the last time they'll that. And he always used to say, like, it's going to be the last time they put their hands on me. Because he was always talking about fighting back, you know? One of those childhood aspirations of actually defending yourself from your parent type of thing. Well, this day was a bit different. He started breathing really heavy, and I, I kept asking him what's wrong, what's wrong. He just said he's sick of it. He said he's going to make sure that it doesn't happen again. Started getting really sketched out. Um, I tried calling my best friend's house. No, again, back in the day, no cell phones, no, no way of communicating like quickly with anyone. Um, he broke into his parents' gun safe. And now all of a sudden sitting next to me is my best friend with a shotgun. And he's just rambling about how he's not going to let it happen again. Now, mind you, this has happened a couple times. Um, he never, like, I, I always thought it was going to end with him killing his parents, but it didn't. Um, we're sitting there playing games. He hands me the controller for the Sega and he picked up the shotgun and he kicked the trigger down. That, that moment changed my life forever. So he shot himself. Yeah. He, uh, he stayed alive for probably five minutes still. And he was gasping for air. He, he had a hole in the back of his neck. Like, it was right under his right ear. And it kind of wrapped. And he was gasping and he, he just... He wasn't saying anything, but he was trying to, or so it seemed. Like, and I, I still don't know to this day, because I'm not going to look into it, because, like, I still have some pretty bad PTSD about this. Um, but I don't know if it was just, like, death throes or if he was really trying to speak. But that day I learned how fragile life was. Because, you know, your, your friends are one thing, but they're, they're here today and they could be gone tomorrow. It, it's as simple as that. Um, and it sucked. Like, that's definitely not something I wanted to learn that young. No, I mean, that is a... I'm sorry to hear that. that there's nothing else to say except that. That's a tough situation to be in. I mean, to see yeah, that... Yeah, I'm still like... I'm still in counseling about it and stuff, and, like, it, it just kind of adds to where my story starts spiraling, and that's why I felt the need to actually speak about it. Um, I didn't know how to process it. You know what I mean? Like, see, my whole life, how I've been processing things with substances, you know, whether it's one thing or another, like, it was either pills or alcohol, because obviously there were times where I couldn't fill my meds 
or my mom had put them somewhere so I couldn't find them type of thing. Um, but at this point, um, this is where I started smoking a lot of weed because that was readily available. I'm in the state of Maine and like back in these times, um, we were actually classified as one of the top manufacturers of marijuana in High Times Magazine for like almost 10 years. And I knew a bunch of people that grew weed. I just hadn't really started smoking because, I don't know, weed always made me feel weird. Even even like the first time I tried it, it just made me feel weird. Didn't realize what the high was supposed to be, I guess, because I was used to the pill high. Which the pill high made me, as weird as this sounds, any downer makes me up. And most of the weed I got just kind of made me sit in my head more, which is not a place I wanted to be. But I realized if you smoked a lot of it, then you didn't really know what was going on. And that's where I wanted to be. So now I'm in high school with a raging pill addiction, an alcohol addiction. I'm selling meds to fuel buying more meds like... I'm already spiraling and I haven't even graduated yet. Were your grades and everything else affected? I mean, were, did, so did my anyone... grades were absolutely affected. My, my behavior was worse than my grades though. So I got expelled from three schools in my sophomore year. Three different schools. Like I have three, I have three separate sophomore years. Cause I have my sophomore year at Oak Hill high school. I have my sophomore year that I had to restart at Oxford Plains High School. And then I have a third one, and this school is the only reason why I've been able to do anything with my life these days. It was called the Phoenix School. You obviously know what a Phoenix is, right? I know what a Phoenix is, yeah. So for anyone who doesn't, though, a Phoenix is something that bursts into flames and reinvents itself. So that was my high school's version of the the troubled kids' school, so to speak. Um, now, I had been kicked out of two actual physical high schools for violence. Like, all of my emotions, if I was feeling negatively, it would always come to the surface as violence, no matter what. That's how I knew how to respond to things. So Phoenix school comes around. I had a teacher who the superintendent re recommended I get expelled after this, but me and a teacher get into a physical altercation. He had said something to one of my friends that I took exception to, and we got into a physical altercation. Um, so I'm expecting to be expelled, obviously. Like that's, that's how my track record was going. This teacher who, <laughs> to this day, I don't understand why. He petitioned the superintendent for instead of me being expelled, that they actually make me stay. And that he is now my my mentor teacher, like he's the one I report to. 
he's the one that I do my work with. He's the one that checks all my work. And I, I don't know to this day why he did this. But in that time that I spent with him, I learned more about life and kind of myself than I did anywhere else. And I graduated on time with the class that I was supposed to march with originally. So I made up almost a full three years of schoolwork working with this man. That's amazing. He must have saw something in you. I don't understand what he saw because the first thing he really saw of me was me throwing him over a desk. Like, but he actually put himself out on a limb and made it so that my high school career wasn't ruined. Because if it wasn't for that, I'm sure I would have inevitably just dropped out. You know what I mean? Like, that that's where I was heading. And that's kind of what I was trying to do. But I was trying to get the schools to give up on me first before I actually had to make the conscious decision to give up. So I was trying to give up without giving up because it's easier if you can blame someone else. And I think he recognized that. I'm not, not certain by any means, but it, how it feels. Um, I only got a chance to see him one time after graduation. Uh, he, uh, he was teaching at the time, so I couldn't really like sit and chat too, too much. Um, but we got to talking a little bit and he just, you know, congratulated me on graduating, said he hopes I don't mess up the gift I was given, you know, being allowed to actually pursue my diploma. Um, but he ended up passing away probably a year and a half after that. He got really sick with cancer. (laughs) This teacher kind of blew my mind, man. He, um, from the time he was in Vietnam until he decided to become a teacher, he had smoked, um, five packs of unfiltered palm oils a day. Wow. He lit one in the morning and just end ended the rest of the day until he went to sleep. And he quit smoking when he decided to become a teacher. That's amazing. He didn't, yeah, he didn't have to quit. He just decided to. I mean, obviously, he would have had to slow down. You know, there's no way they'd be letting him puff on yeah. <laughs> cigarettes while he's trying to teach us kids. But, yeah, I have a lot of fun memories with him, too. Like, he taught me my woodworking. He taught me how to build certain things. He actually um, taught me how to make a skateboard ramp that looked like something else. So that way I can make it in school and then take it home. Um, and it like, I wish I could thank him still to this day because he, he saved my life as far as that stuff goes. Like right now, if it wasn't for him, I, I wouldn't have a diploma. You know what I mean? I, I wouldn't, I don't know where I'd be, but he got me through high school. He convinced me to start looking into, uh, colleges, things like that. I actually, uh, 
started going to University of Vermont in Burlington for psychology because I figured if I started learning psychology, maybe I could figure out what the hell is wrong with me. Um, but I, I didn't make it long. Like I said, around this time, I realized that, you know, drugs had prices and these prices left room for people to make money. So I started selling a lot of drugs. And I think the money was more of an addiction than the drugs were a motivation, I guess, because having money meant I could actually get the things I wanted, which I wasn't used to. I wasn't used to having the stuff I wanted. Needed, yes. Wanted, not so much. So but, at the time, so you now graduated high school. You're yep, selling. You're I'm now on the campus of University of Vermont. Selling drugs. So what were yep. your relationships like at the time? You know, did you have girlfriends? Um, any type of relationship with your parents? I mean, nothing that was really substantial. I mean, obviously, I had. I had girlfriends. They didn't last long. Um, I, I was a mess. And like, like with most people, more was my drug. Like that, that was my drug of choice. So when I got into a relationship, I wanted more than what the relationship was giving me. So I'd introduce a couple more relationships into the mix. So I'd, I'd have two or three of them going at a time. One second, one second. Alexa, quiet. <laughs> Alexa, quiet. All right, sorry about that. Oh, you're fine. I'll edit that out. I so, like wanted to pipe up. <laughs> so, continue. So, each each relationship I got into, I'd I'd end up with more than one going on at a time. Uh, I I was never like a faithful kid. Didn't really happen, you know. There was always a tension that I needed that I wasn't getting because, again, like growing up, I didn't really get the positive attention. So when I started getting it from a source, I sought out more of it. And I definitely, definitely feel bad for a lot of the relationships I did have because I don't think these girls knew what they were getting into. You know what I mean? And I definitely affected a lot of lives like that. But I, I didn't really smarten up either until I hit probably... Whew, hasn't been that long. So, like, I, the whole time with actual, like, relationship relationships, I, I didn't smarten up until probably, like, five years ago. But, uh... So, on University of Vermont campus... Um, every relationship I'm touching turns sour, like real quick. And I always found a way to blame someone else, but obviously I, I was the reason everything started going really, really haywire. Um, either it was my out of control behavior or the fact that I had multiple relationships running at the same time. E either way though, I always blame the other person. You know what I mean? It was always their fault. Like, 
oh, they they didn't want me to go out partying. Like, how could they? Stupid shit like that. And I we- had the same group of friends still this whole time. So were you working at the so one so let's fast forward a little bit. You get out of college. What do you do after that? So you, I actually got expelled from college. Oh, you got expelled <laughs> from college. Okay. Yeah, I got caught um, selling drugs on campus, and there was a zero tolerance policy. So they um, they 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 relinquished my attendance. Um, I actually got caught selling MDMA on campus and that's kind of what led to me kind of delving into that world a bit more i don't know the party drugs i guess like that whole scene um so now i have no responsibility as far as college and stuff goes but i now have a new form of drug that i'm dabbling in so it's no longer just the pain pills no longer the alcohol like now it's rave drugs because whenever i took them it made me forget about life as a whole and i didn't realize it until much much later but apparently one of the things that they've looked into as far as mdma goes is using it to cure ptsd but they do it in like micro doses. I definitely was not micro dosing. Um, but I did notice that for like a couple weeks after I would roll, I didn't think about all the craziness that had happened in my life so much. I didn't focus on my social anxiety. I just, I felt generically better. But that obviously those things only last so long. So I hit 21 and I was starting to get very serious with a girl that I had been seeing for about a year. Uh, We both fed each other's addictions. Um, Mainly it was the pain pills, but we were both into the party drugs as well. And skip ahead two years and she's pregnant with my first child. So just a couple addicts now looking at taking care of a new baby. Well, that must have been uh, scary I'm and quite a... It, it was an eye-opener to say the least. Um, I I made an attempt to actually try some sobriety. I joined my first IOP, um, realized a lot of what I had been telling myself my whole life that was normal behavior is really not normal behavior. It's only normal in the world of addiction. But I joined the first IOP. They put me on my first round of Suboxone. Um, I had never really heard of Suboxone before this. This is like right around the time it started becoming a thing. Well, for me at least. I know it had been around a little bit beforehand, but this is the first time I'm starting to hear about it. And 
I, I tried being sober for the first how long? I'm trying to put together like the full timeline in my head, but it might jump around, so I apologize. Um, but as this is going on, I failed out of my first IOP because I couldn't stop using pain pills. Like every time I would get a little money that wasn't, you know, paying for my Suboxone script, I was buying pain pills every single time. It didn't fail. It started affecting my relationship with uh, my kid's mother's family because she was an addict as well, but she also was old enough where she could do whatever she wanted and didn't have to care for a baby kind of thing. So she started kind of harping on the fact that I, I needed to make a decision to, you know, fix my shit. Um, I didn't end up listening at all. I kept screwing around, kept screwing around. And all of a sudden, we have this bright idea that a geographical change is what we need. So we started looking into changing states. Now, this would be the first time I'd go to a state where it wasn't, you know, ambition by like something stupid I was doing ahead of time because I had definitely hopped on a Greyhound and ended up in a different state before. This would just be the first time I did it trying to get sober. But the first time we mentioned it, my daughter was literally just being born. Um, we didn't end up moving out to another state until my daughter was two, almost three. But off we go to Florida. And surprise, surprise, she's pregnant again. So now we have our two-year-old, we have one on the way, and I still can't keep clean to save my life. Like, at all. We get to Florida. Um, I did well for probably, I want to say, about two weeks. But the, the issue was, it was literally just a geographical change and my social anxiety. Because the second I started talking to people down there, my, my addiction jumped up even worse than it was when I was up in Maine because everything's cheaper in Florida from where I was. So now I had just given myself a license to use the same amount I was as long as I was still kind of trying to put money aside. Didn't really work out. Uh -huh. Trying to be a functional drug addict wasn't happening. Um, she ends up leaving me for another guy while we were still together. Um, I don't, I can't blame her at this point. Like, I can't. I, I was a mess, you know what I mean? But at the time, it, it hit different, if that makes sense. Like, she was already engaged to someone else before we broke up. I held that resentment for a very, very long time. 
I still get angry about it from time to time nowadays just because, like, I would have preferred the common respect of them saying, like, hey, <laughs> go away. Yeah. Essentially. So, but, again, I, I was doing my own dumb shit, so I can't really be mad about it. <laughs> where did you, so from there, what do you do? So from there, I'm homeless in Florida. And I call my dad because he's the only person who I hadn't, I guess, alienated. And this is my bio dad. And like I said, this is kind of where this plays that part that I was saying was going to come in later. Um, so he had an issue with my stepdad being around when he wasn't, because it was his childhood best friend, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, they're, they're cool now, but at the time it was kind of a big hit. Um, so I call him and I tell him, well, I mean, Pat already offered for me to stay there, and that was my stepdad. So I definitely, definitely emotionally manipulated that situation. Yeah, it sounds but like you My dad love... sends me a plane ticket. Or not sends me. He, he buys me a plane ticket and tells me where and how I can pick it up kind of thing. Um, so now, here I go. I'm on my way back from Maine to Vermont, or sorry, from Florida to Vermont. The whole time in my head, I'm just like, well, hey, you know, as soon as I've stayed for a little bit, I'll get a quick job and then I'll just move back to Maine. Like, that was my whole goal, is I was trying to get back to where I knew. Well, I got there and... I could see that my dad was trying to actually bond with me for the first time in my life. And my, my idea changes. Like now I no longer want to just get there and then leave immediately. Like I, I want to see if I can salvage the relationship kind of thing. Um, so I don't immediately take off. He got me a job working with him, uh, working for, uh, Maytag ovens. I'm sure you know, or, or do you know what Maytag ovens is? Yeah, yeah, I've definitely heard of them. Okay. So there was a company called Blodgett originally, and they did like the high-end pizza ovens and uh, what do you call them? Uh, like cafeteria ovens. Okay. Like the huge ones. Yep. The ones where you could literally walk inside the bitches. Well, <laughs> my dad gets me a job working there. Um, he's working on the final test line and I'm entry level. So I'm, I'm working like the front of the production line within like a week. He starts talking to me about how, you know, it's obvious that something's going on because it seems like I'm sick, but I'm not having any cold symptoms or anything like that. And like, I'm not asking to go to the hospital, like, so I'm detoxing bad. Like, I, or I felt like I was. We're probably, like, two weeks in at this point when he finally talks to me, so at this point, it's just the mental. And he sends me to the hospital because my, my employer wanted to know if I was actually sick with something that was contagious, 
because obviously they have like a big warehouse. They don't want, you know, a flu or something flying around in the warehouse. Um, well, me being an addict, as soon as he said go to the hospital, like my first thought in my head is, okay, so I'm in the emergency room and every question the doc asks me is, <laughs> there's an ow response with it. Like, ow, this hurts. Ow, this hurts. Like, yeah, I'm only in here. Like, yeah, no, I'm sniffly, that's, but that's not why I'm here. I, I'm here because uh, 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 I have some jaw pain. So I'm actively drug seeking, like, and I'm starting this process all over again, like without realizing the damage it's about to cause. Um, so I get a bottle of pain meds from the emergency room doctor and all of a sudden I'm not acting like the sick kid that my dad had just sent to the emergency room. And I think that's when he recognized exactly how bad my addiction was because I no longer had my stuffy runny nose. I was no longer feeling like I was gonna vomit all the time. And I was sociable, I was personable. I, I was going out of my way to try to be like a people person. And the look on his face when he realized that kind of broke my heart. Mind you, this is the first time I had spent any substantial amount of time with my father since I was probably, when I was 14, I, um, I went through this weird psych phase where uh, my mom was going somewhere and he took me for a couple weeks for the first time in my whole life. Um, but ever since that time, I hadn't really seen him. So now I see him and now I feel like the biggest letdown ever. Yeah, I mean, that's, it, that's tough. It sent me into a whole new spiral. That definitely sounds tough. I was about to say, moving forward from that, <laughs> tell me a little bit more. So you spiraled out. Tell me a little bit more about the drug use. So the universe has a funny way of tempting you. Um... Not only that, but the universe in my, this is how I feel personally. Um, I'd be happy to talk to anyone about my personal feelings on universal, you know, law and things like that. But the universe starts setting things up on me. And I think the universe was trying to get me away from my dad. So I didn't hurt him. Like, and I don't mean physically, I mean, like, emotionally so i get my first paycheck from blogging right um and i talked to my dad i'm like hey dad you know i definitely need to go cash this and i kind of need to set up a checking account like what bank should i use and he's like oh you don't need a bank yet you know wait till you have a little bit of cash saved up and blah 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 go do this that and the third and i was like okay I was like, okay, well, then in that instance, where do I cash my check? And he sends me to this Shaw's right up the road from the shop. Um, 
I'm, I'm in Shaw's, and there are these two gentlemen ahead of me in line. And all I hear, I'm, I'm overhearing drug lingo, like from these two guys who are trying to send out a Western Union. So <laughs> I found a reason to interject myself in their conversation. Um, I looked at one of the guys and I was like, hey, y'all, y'all need help? Like, do you not understand how to do this, that? They were like, yeah, they're trying to say we need to fill out something. I don't, I don't get what they're talking about. So I took their form and I showed them what they meant. Um, made, just super simple shit. Um, well, the guy looks me up and down and he sees, like, I'm really skinny at this point. Like, I look bad. Um, I wasn't really taking that great a care of myself. And he's like, yo, uh, do you mess with the downtown? Which was just another way of him asking if I did heroin. And I was like, I mean, I'm more into pharmaceuticals, but, you know. Willing to give anything a try. Like, yeah, I was like, I'm willing to give it a shot. Why? He's like, well, I'm here. We have to make it. I can't remember what state he said now. I wasn't really listening. All I was focused on was the fact that this man just said he has drugs. He gave me some story about how he's trying to get to another state. And I was like, well, I'm cashing my check right now. Like, I'll definitely definitely buy something off you <clears throat> now at this point in my life i had never used a needle like not once i, I everything that i had done was either by me eating a bunch of them or sniffing a bunch of them and the reason why i say this is where it starts to spiral is because i did everything i got from that man Pretty much at once. Um, and then I felt like I was dying after. Like, not not like I was so high. I felt like I was dying. Like, the detox was worse than everything I had ever been through. Um, and I called the only person I could think of that could potentially understand what I was going through. And that was my cousin, who looked identical to me. Um, our baby pictures got confused a lot type of thing. And he was in active addiction. Or I wasn't sure if he was still in active addiction, but I knew that he had battled with addiction before. So I figured he'd be my best bet to call. Um, I called him. He tells me the only thing he has that could help me is already loaded up in a syringe. And at this point, I didn't care. Like, in my head, I just needed to feel better. Yeah. So I stole my dad's car and went over to my cousin's house. And that was the first day I shot up. And from there, I started lying <clears throat> to everyone I knew stealing whatever I could, uh, and I just started chasing. I was chasing that feeling again all the way up until a few years ago.
like it it had me hooked worse than I had ever imagined something could. So but, you keep doing um, heroin. Fast yeah. forwarding a little bit. So after, so when did you realize that you had an issue? When did you say, pardon my language here, shit, I need to get my act together. This is, this is screwing my life up big time. So, I mean, that honestly started the first time I found out I was going to have a kid. But I just never... Was able to. I never fully understood. Like, I didn't fully understand the hold it had on me. You know, like, I, I thought I was one of those people that could be the functional addict. That could just make it through doing, you know, a little bit here and there. Or, you know, quote-unquote, just getting well every day. While still trying to take care of a kid. And I very quickly learned that that was not the case. It's not the case at all. Um, I never, I never abused my child, not, not even close to, but I was definitely a neglectful parent. You know, I, I would lay on the couch sick, um, while she was wanting to play things like that. And I, I had essentially given up on myself. But that was the first time that I knew that that was unmanageable for me. It, it wasn't right. Like, I was affecting someone's life that wasn't even old enough to make the moves to change what I was doing. You know what I mean? And the next time that I, I had my rock bottom bottom, because at this point I still hadn't hit and bottom. Like, all this stuff leading up, I, I had bottoms, of course. But there were secret compartments that I could fall deeper, you know? And I finally hit my rock, rock bottom when we found out that we were pregnant with my, my daughter, Khaleesi. <clears throat> So, so that's now a third child on the way. Now. Okay, that's mind you. That's still a, another child on the way, and you're still in active addiction. Yep. Well, what really opened my eyes to it is I had avoided using um, cocaine basically through my entire addiction because when I was younger, that's that's what my stepfather had use me to barter with, you know what I mean? He, he, he was trying to get cocaine, so he would use me as the bartering chip to get his cocaine. And in my head, like, I always felt like I wouldn't be that bad if I wasn't doing the same thing that he was doing that got me that bad, like, into the situation I was as far as, you know, DHS custody, things like that. Um... Well, I finally dabbled in that, and we got into a physical altercation 
And then we found out she was pregnant. So in my head now, I had just physically assaulted the woman carrying my child. Like I didn't beat her up by the way, um, but I, I did grab her by the throat and shove her down, which was enough for me. Yeah, that's definitely enough. We were both in cocaine psychosis. Like, we didn't know she was pregnant yet. Um, but when she took the test and realized, like, the entire events of that weekend kind of came to our heads. And she got sober immediately. Like, she checked herself in. She um, got on a prescription and... Everything was good from there. I um, have one month less than her because <laughs> I'm still stubborn. And I waited. And the first time she went somewhere, like a month later, I ended up using a needle to do the med that was prescribed, but still shouldn't have done them the way I did, you know. So that's why I don't count my sobriety date until the last date I did that. Yeah, because anything you're using other than the way it's prescribed for a doctor is just obviously to strictly get high yeah. to, to the best exactly. of your ability. Like one, 110% on that one. Um, now, it's been a long road since then, though. Like, my life's changed completely. I no longer wake up worried about what my life's going to be like. You know, I have a pretty good grip on it at this point. We have a pretty functional, like, family life. Well, fairly functional. You know, we're, we're still kind of fucked up. Like, we got to think. We're doing good for two addicts raising kids. Like, let's, let's just be real here. <laughs> no, I got you on that. I got <laughs> you on that. We put the fun in dysfunctional, okay? Um... But we're trying to give the kiddos the stuff that we didn't have, such as some form of stability, um, the time we didn't have, stuff like that. So, Dan, what is life like nowadays? Is there anything specific you do that you can give some of our listeners a, a kind of inside look into your personal routine? Because maybe, you know, some people might relate to it and be able to help them out. Absolutely. So one of the biggest things I have to do and I have to strive for on a daily basis is I have to be honest with myself. Like if I'm lacking in an area, I have to recognize it, accept it, and then move forward. Um, I can't stay hung up on things that I'm lacking. have to look forward to the things that I'm doing. You know what I mean? Um, meditation helps a lot. Um, even if it's something as simple as just trying to decompress your brain for a couple seconds. So like taking these five, 10 minute moments where you're just sitting there immersing in something else, it gives your head time to kind of reset because once things start to get hectic, that that's when our attic brain is going to start to fire up and start to think about stupid shit we should do probably not a good point like probably not a good idea to do it at that point 
But yeah, definitely that's a great thing. I, I also utilize meditation. I think um, um, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I believe they mention meditation about 10 times. And I, I always notice people don't talk about that as much. They usually um, really focus on the prayer. But I think both are important. I think both are absolutely important. And honestly, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. They can. So some people's meditation is prayer. Exactly. Like I've definitely seen that a lot. Yeah, exactly. Um, People don't realize it's it, it's basically when you pray, you're utilizing what they call single pointed meditation, where you're just focusing on that one thing. Your brain kind of zones out from the rest of the world, and you just focus on your prayer. Yep. It's very true. So it sounds like you're doing much better than you were. Life's a little bit better nowadays. It says, you know, you do stuff like meditation, keep yourself sane. Um, I guess my last question, is there anything else that you want the listeners to know about you? Anything you think might help them? You know, because that's the whole point of us sharing our stories is to help people. I mean, I'm not really 100% sure. I just brain farted. Could you repeat the question? I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, no, understood. <clears throat> so like, I tried, I tried keeping up. Yeah, no, understood. So it seems like that you're good nowadays using meditation and different coping school, uh, skills. Is there anything in particular that you would like to say to the listeners that you think might help them, you know, above and beyond the meditation, anything that you might utilize? Absolutely. Um, looking into some breathing techniques, that, that could definitely help. Um, when I start to get over anxious and things like that, I have to remind myself that I do need to take some breaths. Like, before I make any hasty decisions, I have to breathe. One of the things I saw very recently that I'm going to start implementing in my everyday, don't reply to a message when you're angry. Don't make a promise when you're happy. And what was the last one? Don't... I have it written down somewhere and I'm having trouble finding my notebook, but don't reply when you're angry. Don't make a promise when you're happy and don't, what was it? Don't avoid if it's uncomfortable. Okay. That makes sense. Because if you try to avoid uncomfortability, it kind of leads you to not face certain things that you normally would have to. And one of the things about comfortability that I also learned from an old timer when I was in rehab is that's something that we need to learn to deal with. And the way he put it was get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yep. All right. So I, I think that's it. We really appreciate you, Dan. You really got in depth there. You told us a lot of your story and, you know, we just have to thank you for sharing. Absolutely. It's definitely not a problem. Like I said, my my life's kind of an open book at this point. I have to be honest with myself, and that entails usually explaining to people exactly where I came from, you know? Exactly, and that's all we can do as recovering addicts is 
share our story, share what we do as far as keeping us sober, and uh, hope it helps the next addict. So, I'm hoping so. Yeah, absolutely. So that's all we got for today. If you folks like what you heard, please give us a rating on iTunes. Definitely check out our Facebook group. Um, from there, you can check out our events tab, and we could see that we have Zoom meetings quite a few nights a week. Um, we're always there to help you if there's anything you need. And uh, that's all we got for today. So until next time.